following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. We are starting a new series this morning we're calling Seeing Clearly. And sometimes as a pastor, you luck out in that someone from your congregation provides you with your introduction. So I'm going to invite Eric Silver forward because he emailed me this week. You too could be a sermon illustration if you email me in the middle of the week and say, hey, I see this series coming. So That's right, on Monday or Tuesday. Eric, why don't you share a little bit of why this popped up for you? So clearly with the gospel. Thank you, Eric. So now I'm going to go and teach. The kids. With Legos. We could go play Legos. Yeah, yeah. Y'all are missing out on Legos today. Um, But it was was such a a perfect thing. Eric actually wrote um, a short thing for the the, uh, campus pastor at Concordia where he works to kind of talk through, hey, if you ever need me to to talk on this, this really kind of hit me. That as he got those glasses and he's like, this has really changed my perception. And I was like, this is perfect. Thank you for being my introduction to this sermon series. Because as Eric wrote me, he said, you know, a big part of this is, this is genetic. I have had this outlook since birth. Because of my genes, I see color differently. Now, he had, he's had those um, colorblind glasses for a couple of weeks now. And I just thought he was making a fashion statement, right? I thought, okay, purple glasses. I knew there was probably some reason behind it. But I, he had actually told me he was getting them, and it just hadn't clicked for me. And so that, that joy, I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of people who have been colorblind putting on colorblind glasses for the first time, but there's always this huge perception shift and oftentimes leads to a lot of emotion because people are looking around and seeing things for the first time. Now, this is what any kind of corrective lens does. That as our vision fails, uh, when we're young or old, a corrective lens, whether it be glasses or um, contacts, even if you're putting on sunglasses as a corrective lens of, oh no, it's bright outside, those all function to change our perception of the world. Every year as we go through sermon series, we want to ground ourselves in Scripture, so we'll do several series that are just straight out of the book. So like we did Ruth this year, um, we'll do some more in the coming months. But we always try and do a series on doctrine, which is doctrine is a fancy word for teaching. And really what we want to do over the next four weeks is take some basic theological ideas that give us a lens in how we can look at the world, that scriptures give us so that as we then encounter the world via our lives, we can use them to see more clearly. And so the first place we're going to start is one of the most foundational pairs of lenses, which is what we call justification and sanctification. So these two ideas of how the most basic foundational way we as Christians view our lives and the world. The problem that we encounter, right, if corrective lenses help solve a problem, right? So like my glasses here, I'm, it used to be I could take these off and immediately it was like, oh, I can, I can tell who everyone is. And now there's a level of fuzz that age has brought to it. That it's like, 
I could, I could sit here, I could preach, I can actually read off my computer, but it's just so nice to see all of you in HD, right? And so glasses change what we're looking at. There's a problem. There's something in my eyes that have created a fuzziness, right? So now when I put the glasses back on, I've got that space. Now there are times where I forget my glasses. Like this morning, I almost walked out the door and said, I'm going to preach this sermon all about the, like the foundational you know, methodology being glasses, and of course I'm going to leave my glasses upstairs. So I ran back in, ran upstairs, knew where my glasses were grabbing. But the problem we encounter is that we, as we walk into the world, especially in our American culture, there's this idea of you need to earn it. Whatever it is, you need to earn it. Whether it's, you know, our foundational, um, you know, base of capitalism to say we, we put our, you know, work, our effort out into the world and we receive back whatever effort we put out. Um, whether it's the individualistic spirit, that conquering of the West kind of feel that um, we in the U.S. have, whatever it is, we have this feeling that we've got to earn it. There's this great scene um, at the end of Saving Private Ryan. So this is a spoiler, but if you haven't seen Saving Private Ryan yet, I'm sorry. But in this moment, in this whole story, um, it's this group of men sent behind enemy lines um, right after D-Day to pull out a paratrooper because all of his, uh, he's one of four or five brothers and all his other brothers have died. And the War Department doesn't want this story of all five brothers dying. So they say, let's go in and get this last one out. So it's one squad who goes in behind enemy lines, and slowly all but one or two of the guys in the squad die. And the captain, who's played by Tom Hanks, as he is laying dying, pulls down Matt Damon as Private Ryan and says, earn this. Earn it. He pulls him in close and says, earn it. And I always think that's such an incredible moment because then it, you get this fading to him as an old man at the cemetery, kneeling in France, kneeling before this captain's grave, and his wife runs up, because he has run in front of his family, his wife runs up, and he says, have I been a good man? Now, I do think there's a tension for us that says, we want to be good people, but there's this idea for us that we have to earn whatever we get. And when that translates into our salvation, that becomes a problem. When we start looking at our salvation as something that Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, and then he opens one eye and goes, but earn it, right? Like, how many of us have felt that at times, that we go, I, okay, Jesus will love me more if only I do, and then you fill in the blank, right? If only I love my neighbors a little bit more. If only I you know, could have sang a little bit louder in church. If only I could have um, helped that person out on the side of the road. And we fill in all these blanks. And we believe and we think and we start falling into the lie that our salvation is based upon those things. But there's actually this comforting verse that we read this morning from Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That for us as a people, 
as Christians, we want to make sure that as we view the world, as we look at it, the problem is not that we haven't earned it, it's that we can't earn it. That there's nothing we can do, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have. That even as Paul writes to the church in Rome, just after Jesus is gone, he's saying that. You look at throughout Scripture, there is sin everywhere in the people of God. You even look at Peter, you know, Peter, who is the chief disciple. And when Jesus says, I have to go to the cross, Peter says, Lord, I hear you, but what if, no. Like, what if we didn't do that? And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. Because he knows where that lie is coming from. And so for us as a people of God, there is a temptation for us to then lean into saying, I have to be better. God will only love me if. And then what happens is we try and do what God has told us to do, to love him and love others, but our fuel is coming from a place that is poisoned. I was around um, a little kid this week, and she looked at me and she said, I had just filled up the gas tank. She looks at me and she goes, you know, Mr. Ted, food is like fuel. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. And now we had this whole discussion about that. But think about when you put the wrong fuel in your body, right? When you're like, listen, it's Saturday afternoon. I just want Panda Express. Don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for Panda Express. And 30 minutes later, there's a time of regret for Panda Express. And if you say, you know what, I'm going to eat Panda Express and then go for a jog, there's never a good time for that. That if we start putting the wrong fuel in, it's going to produce bad things. If you look at runners, they are very specific as to what they're going to eat to fuel them on a run. Because they know what will produce good results. So too with us, if we are trying to fuel ourselves by saying, I've got to earn salvation. If I do these good works, God will love me more. Well, we're going to find ourselves wrapped in this situation where the fuel is not going to last long. It's going to burn quickly. And then we'll find ourselves at the place once again of saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let's read together Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which should be up here behind me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So these two verses are just the beautiful set of glasses for justification and sanctification. You need both lenses. As a fully formed follower of Jesus, we need both justification and sanctification, right? If I were to get rid of this lens, I lose part of not only like my vision, but I lose the depth perception that I gain when they're together. 
So justification and sanctification can go hand in hand. They are not opposites, but they are a way for us to see how we do this. So let's start with justification. We're going to look at verses 8 through 9 here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace, that free gift, if we want to get really like growing up in the 90s version of this, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? That's what it was. It's a great acronym because it's true. That spells grace, by the way, if you put the first letters together just for the class, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. If you need to go, what is grace? There's your gift, right? So this is God's gift to us. It is grace. It is free. And it is through faith. Now the question is, and I've had a great discussion over the past couple weeks with some friends about faith. Does faith, is it something we grow? But you look at it and you go, no. Faith is always credited as a gift of God. That through faith, things happen, but that faith is given by God. So when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that is faith which is given to you. If you were to ask the question, am I a disciple of Christ? How do I know? Very simple. Your baptism. When Jesus stepped down and claimed you through those waters, he imbued you with the faith that makes you a disciple. Let's look at this next section. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. You didn't do it. The fancy Latin here is extra nos, from without. Listen, you were showing up this morning, you didn't know you were getting a Latin lesson, but here you are. It is from without. It is a gift of God. There is nothing you could do. Now, I love this. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So Paul hammers home to the church at Ephesus, this is a gift of God, not a result of your works, and he tells us why. So that no one may boast. Because what do we do when we do something well? We get excited and we tell other people about it. Now that's not always bad. Listen, when I change a plug, in our house, because the contractors put in the cheapest manufactured plugs in this house, and they burn out spectacularly. We are talking scorch marks and fizz noise, and I have people going, your house is going to burn down. I'm like, it hasn't yet. But these, and at one point a buddy of mine was like, you should get the wiring fixed. And I thought, that sounds expensive. But what it is, is it's, there's not an issue. Everyone I've replaced has been fine. But these ones blow out. And you better believe that every time I repair one, I stand real close to it till Chelsea walks by. And I go, hey, look at this. Look at this. Nothing. It's light. I made it. You know? It's one of those things. When we do something, we're, we're allowed to be proud of it. The problem becomes when our pride outweighs everything else. And so if our salvation was based on us, its foundation would not be on what Jesus has done, but all of a sudden it would be on our works. So as we boast about our works and saying, look at how good I am, you know what's going to fail us is that assurance. Because as good as we are, there will come a day where we do something equally as sinful. 
there will be a day where our selfish desires outweigh those things. So God in his mercy and goodness said, listen, this is not dependent on you so that no one can boast. Not because God's coming in going, you guys stink and you should stop boasting in yourselves. No, he, he knows boasting in self is going to fail. He's saying no one can boast because this is a gift I give to you. So this is justification. Justification is the gift of God for salvation. It is not because of what we have done, but instead what he does for us. So that first lens that as we look at the world and at our faith is through this place that says, I am justified. The phrase we used when I was a camp counselor was salvation secure. That that's like, I don't know what it was, but there was one summer we were high-fiving each other, salvation secure. I don't remember why. It seemed like a cool thing to do at the time. We were all 20, right? But it was a good reminder. That salvation, that base is a gift to you. Someone showed up and gave you your dream car. You didn't have to do anything. In the same vein, Jesus shows up and goes to the cross. You don't have to do anything. He has done it for you. But now let's look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. So we don't sit on the sidelines. The temptation would be, okay, I have this justification, everything's great, everything's grand, so now I can just sit back and hang out. But Paul writes and goes, no, 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 you are his workmanship. And it reverses this idea of saying, I have to be good so God can love me so I don't receive damnation. And it actually throws it around and says, no, no, God loves you so deeply that he saves you. And in that salvation, he creates you as his workmanship. So what are we? We are his workmanship. Created by him, the master craftsman. He looks at us and he says, I have created you. You are mine. And who are we created in? Christ Jesus. You see, that, that salvation begins a process in us of saying, I see the world differently. That as we are justified, we realize we are God's workmanship, that he cares for us in Christ Jesus. So in that gift of Jesus, we receive that we are his workmanship. And what are we created to do? Good works. Now, I love the idea of the way this is framed because we are created to do good works. And the way that points is outward. If our justification, if our salvation is based on ourselves, then the penchant for our works is for ourselves. Why do you do good? 
so that God will love me more and I can attain salvation. But when we look at it as sanctification, that we are fully justified, well, now our good works aren't something that says, I do them so God loves me more. I do them because God wants me to love my neighbor. There's actually a freedom in good works instead of a weight that when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he means it. Because what all of a sudden we realize is the good we do isn't somehow storing up in heaven some kind of brownie points that at the end of our lives we go, well, Lord, I had you know, three silos worth of good works. So, and he goes, nah, you needed four. No, instead, it's saying, no, I've already achieved heaven. I've already achieved the life eternal. God has already done that for me. So the good I do is in freedom for my neighbors. That it is not a burden of saying, I must do these things. Instead, it is saying, Lord, teach me how to do the good works that you have prepared for me. God knows our lives, and so he sets into motion the good works prepared beforehand. That our sanctification, our growth, has already been laid out. This is a recreation. In the garden, everything was perfect. Adam and Eve did as they were created to do. The process of sanctification is that recreation, moving things more and more towards what it was like in the garden. Now, do we achieve that this side of the second coming? No. But we have hope that as we do those things, we can see the kingdom of heaven a little bit more as we go about our lives. That the joy we find as we walk in these good works is that we see God at work through us. And we find that joy. Because it's not sitting around, it is that, you, that we should walk in them. Justification is not something you sit on the bench and experience. It is the fuel for a life of sanctification. Now, that could get a little messy, so let me explain that. I said that, and then I realized I needed to draw that out. Justification in and of itself is perfect and good, and our salvation is secure. But it does more than one thing. It is a gift that keeps on giving, that if we take our justification and say, this is my fuel for following Jesus. Not that I'm trying to please him, but instead that he has done so much good for me. Watch how that changes the way you interact with others. There's a reason we do confession absolution. There's a reason we encourage ourselves to look at the reality of sinfulness in our own lives. It's so that we can remember the goodness of God in what he has done for us. So sanctification is God working in and through us to do the good works he created for us to do. It changes us, it challenges us, it moves us. And it is a process. Because some days you're going great, and some days you feel like you're rolling down the hill. But it always is a foundation of justification that I am saved, and because I am saved, I do these things. 
I live and walk in those good works that he created for me to do. So what's the benefit of this? What's the benefit of putting on these corrective lenses? First of all, it helps us to not live in guilt and shame. It would be a lot easier for me to sit up here and tell you, listen, are you not following God? Are you not doing the right things? Are you not loving your neighbor? Are you not being missional enough? Well, you might not be saved. Listen, as a pastor, that's the dream. Because I could guilt y'all into so much. But the gift of justification is it takes away the guilt and the shame. Now, we may feel that in a moment, that in our sin, when we fall, we feel those things, but those things are not permanent. Instead, they're a reminder to return to the God who justifies. And so as we view the world then, we can look and we can say, if my salvation's secure, how does that interpret the world around me? If I don't have to earn my salvation, how does that change how I see the world? And then our sanctification lens helps us see that God is inviting us into the process of being recreated. That as we look around ourselves, we can see and rejoice that God has invited us to be a part of his kingdom work in the world. That we get to be a piece of what he is doing for the gift of our neighbors. So that then when we boast, we boast in Him. That when we serve, we find His joy, because as we serve, we realize we're acting as He did. When He ultimately served us on the cross, we find that as we serve in small ways, we reflect who He is. That our joy is not in a guilt of having to get things done, but it is a joy of saying we get to be as our Savior is. It is a freedom from having to feel the weight of doing better and then God will love me. That as we put these lenses on, we say, God loves me, and so I go and follow him. Instead of saying, I follow him and maybe someday I'll find out if he loves me. Justification and sanctification teach us those ways. Let's pray. Lord, it is tempting for us to think that our salvation rests on our shoulders. We can believe the lies of the enemy that tell us, We just have to be a little bit better. We just have to follow a little bit more and then you'll truly love us. But Lord, instead, let us rejoice that it is finished. That we are justified. That your grace has done what we could not. Lord, may we rejoice in the fact that our guilt and our shame are taken away. And let us look out into a world and say, Lord, may we go into the good works you have prepared for us to do as neighbors, as friends, as parents, as students, as teachers, as co-workers. 
May we walk into those places knowing that we do it because of the love you have for us. That nothing needs to be earned, but instead, just as you gave us a gift, our our sanctification is a gift that we get to give away to our neighbors. Lord, teach us daily to live with joy in your justification and walk in the sanctification that brings us deeper into life with you. In your Son, Jesus' name.